1791, his final year, the composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart seems to have been quite busy, writing two string quintets, one of the last three symphonies, many dances for court balls. Commissions were rolling in, one of them for the accession to the throne of King of Bohemia, Leopold II, which eventually resulted in the opera La Clemenza di Tito. Also a requiem, commissioned under mysterious circumstances by Count Valseg Stupak. But nothing seems to have pleased Mozart more than a collaboration with his old friend Emanuel Schikaneder, who was the impresario of the Theater auf der Wieden on the outskirts of Vienna. That collaboration resulted in Die Zauberflöte, the magic flute, one of the most beloved and certainly one of the strangest works to come from Mozart's pen. That is the subject of our operatic exploration today. I'm Nick Ravellis, and this is Opera Talk. The magic flute deals with a young prince. His name is Tamino, and when we meet him at the beginning of the opera, he's running through a forest, being pursued by a giant serpent. He's rescued by three strange ladies. They are attendants to the queen of the night. The queen has a daughter, Pamina, who has been kidnapped by a mysterious potentate by the name of Zarastro. The queen asks Tamino to rescue Pamina, and he agrees. And off he goes along with his companion, the queen's birdcatcher, Papageno, one of the great comic characters in all opera. Pamina has been abducted by one of Zarastro's servants, Manastatos. And in a great comic scene, Papageno frightens Manastatos and he runs off and Pamina is free to be rescued. In the meantime, Tamino has a confrontation with one of Zarastro's priests. And he begins to change his mind about this so-called wicked demon. He realizes that Zarastro stands for the principles of virtue and truth, of wisdom. And so he and Papageno agree to go through a certain initiation, ordeals and trials, in order to become members of Zarastro's tribe. The second act of the opera deals entirely with these trials, a trial of silence, trial by fire and by water. And at the end of the opera, Tamino, Pamina, Papageno reign victorious over the villainous Queen of the Night and her cohorts. This is a fanciful and, as I said, rather strange plot for an opera. But ever since its first run at the Theater auf der Wieden in 1791, it's been one of the most beloved operas ever written. Let's take a close look now at the time of the writing of The Magic Flute and the life and some of the myths surrounding the life and death of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. There are so many myths dealing with Mozart's life and death that it's sometimes difficult for us to distinguish fact from fiction. One of them is that Mozart died a pauper, that he was never able to handle money or that he gambled it all away. That, in fact, is not true. What is true is that in the last four or five years of Mozart's life, he did borrow some money from various friends. 
But it's also true that lots of money came rolling in. In fact, 1791, which was his last year, seems to have been his most successful financially. Not counting money that may or may not have come in for the Magic Flute Commission, Mozart made nearly 2,000 florins in that year. Now, that would be the equivalent of about forty or $50,000 in today's terms. That made Mozart a very stable member of the Viennese bourgeoisie. Another myth of sorts was Mozart's never having received a royal position from the Habsburgs, and this also is not true. It's just that Mozart didn't have the position he coveted, the one he really wanted, was the position of royal court composer. This was held, of course, by the Italian composer Antonio Salieri, who was very popular in his day. Mozart did hold a minor position, that position of the royal court chamber music composer. For this, Mozart had to write dance music, music for all of the royal balls, the court celebrations that occurred in every season of, uh, of, the, of the royal life. And it was quite lucrative. It brought in quite a bit of money for Mozart. The thing was, by 1791, Joseph II had been dead for nearly a year. Leopold, his younger brother, ascended to the throne, and he was nowhere near as interested in the arts or opera or music as his older brother was. And so Mozart and other composers and artists decided that the Habsburg milieu was no longer going to be helpful to them monetarily. In fact, Mozart ran a bit afoul of Leopold II and his empress when they finally heard La Clemenza di Tito, which was commissioned by Prague in order to celebrate Leopold's ascension to the throne of the King of Bohemia. The empress said, and I quote, this is a bit of una porcheria tedesca, a little bit of German hogwash. Well, Mozart was a realist, and he realized that there was no future for him in the court of Leopold II. Another myth is that Mozart was buried in a pauper's grave. This, too, is not at all true. He was buried in...